Well, we are in John chapter 5, and we've been in John chapter 5 for some time. Um, I was at a family wedding two weeks ago, and then last week was not feeling well. And so Pastor Don filled in, and, and uh, um, it, it, is, it is wonderful to be able to call upon men like Pastor Don and others that are able to like preach at a moment's notice. And so um, we're just thankful for that. To refresh your memory a little bit as we look at, at John chapter 5, um, we've, we see that the Lord heals a man that had been um, crippled for over 38 years. And in healing this man, something where the guy takes off his bed and he, he leaves in 38 years of being in a bed, 38 years of depending upon other people to help him. And God miraculously just heals him as Christ tells him to stand, to walk. And you, you, you think about this in this glorious moment for this particular man. And yet there's those that are looking on saying, he did this on the Sabbath. How can he heal on the Sabbath? He's not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Nobody's supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And he healed this man that had been crippled for 38 years. He healed him on the Sabbath. He should not have done that. He told him to take up his bed. That man should not have lifted his bed because those that were a part of Judaism at this time had created all kinds of laws of what you were allowed to do on the Sabbath, how much weight you could lift, all kinds of laws in their attempt to to protect themselves from breaking any part of the law, but they had made law after law after law that were extra biblical. And they're not even excited that this man who was crippled for 38 years stood up and walked away. Rather, they start questioning Jesus as to how he could do this on the Sabbath. And Jesus from there begins to speak to them and and makes a point to, to them as far as him and, and his father um, have been working even from the beginning of time. And, and, and from there, we see that these people look and they say that he's making himself equal to the father. He just said something that makes it so that he's equal with God the father. And from there, Jesus goes to begin to teach him as far as I am equal with the Father. I am equal with him. I am God himself. I am God with you right now. We as Christians believe in in the deity of Christ. We believe that he is God. We believe that he is fully God, second person of the Trinity, that God himself became man and, and he was born to the Virgin Mary, and we, we, we see that, that he lived a life of fulfilling all righteousness, and he lived amongst us. He was tempted in all things, yet without sin, and he died on the cross as the payment for our sin, and he rose again from the dead, and he is at the right hand of the Father to this day. And you look and you see, in this particular passage, we have come to a section of the Word of God that is teaching us that this is, in fact, the case. You may be here this morning just saying, well, how do you know? There's, there's so many different 
religions. How do you know? How do you know that Jesus truly is God, that he truly did live and die and rise again from the dead? How do we know that he is the one in whom the Father sent to be the payment for our sin? How do we know that it's not every other religion that is true, but Christianity is wrong? How do we know these things? And we find in John chapter 5 and throughout the entire book of, of, of John, over and over again, John is presenting Christ as God, as our Savior. And so our, the text before us this morning is, is John chapter 5. Let's read verses 30 through 40. Jesus says, I can, do, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent, or you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say things that, that you may be saved. I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Speaking to these people who are looking, saying, how dare you heal somebody on the Sabbath, pointing out his deity giving a defense of how it is that he truly is God himself. And he says to the people, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. You're not willing. You are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You search the scriptures. You go through, you know the Bible. You go through and you search the law. You can recite it over and over and over again. But what he tells them is it is this that testifies of me. It's all pointing towards me. You search the scriptures because in it you think you have life, but it's all pointing to Christ. It's all pointing to our Savior. You were not willing to come to me that you may have life. Um, we look and we see the last time God had spoken to his people through a, a prophet was with Malachi. Now a, a period of five, nearly 500 years has gone by. And they haven't heard God's people, those in Israel, had not heard of any prophet from that particular time. Nearly 500 years had gone by. They'd created all of this law. They had done all of these things. And you look and you, and, you, and you think, well, how is it that we know that Jesus is the Messiah? How do we know that he is the one? And you look and, and 
the, the, that moment of, of, of silence is, is broken as you see the angel Gabriel come and the angel comes to, to Mary and says, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. The angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you, you have found favor with God, and behold, you'll conceive. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he'll be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary's listening, how is this possible? I haven't known a man, the Virgin Mary. How is this possible? And yet, we see angels appear to to not only Mary, but Elizabeth as well. And them hearing, there is one that is coming. It is going to come. He will be the greatest. His throne will be of his father, David. You look, and from there, we see God just working in incredible ways to bring this to pass. Virgin Mary is with child. Fulfillment of prophecy that had been given. We look and see that God's working mightily, and He He has it to where Caesar Augustus makes a decree that the whole land, everybody, should be registered. So what happens? They they go to as far as Joseph and Mary go to the city of Bethlehem. Why? Because find that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before God said that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. We find all of these things being set up to point to Christ in fact is the one who is God himself. In verse 30 it says, Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing. (coughs) As I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Um, what he's saying there is, is, is as far as he, anybody can come and say, well, I'm gone. You'll hear people say things like that even to this day. I'm gone. But the question is, how do we know that, that it's true? Um, in John chapter 8 and, and verse 12, it says that Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. He could tell everybody, I'm the light of the world. And they're looking saying, you just, you bear witness of yourself. You're saying this for yourself. You tell everybody that you're the light of the world. How do we know that it's true? It's not true, they're saying. But Jesus goes on and says, there is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. There's another who bears witness of me. And we look and we see that ultimately it's God himself, the Father, who's bearing witness of the Son. It's God the Father that's saying, my, this is, is, is my Son. We see, it, we see it at the baptism where Jesus is baptized. And we see it at the transfiguration. We see God himself coming and saying, this is my beloved Son. In whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. We see the witness of of Jesus being pointed out as all of the prophecies are being fulfilled. Everything that God had said from the very beginning of time. 
these things will happen. He'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll be called a Nazarene. He'd come out of Egypt. He's setting up everything that would happen to point to the fact that Christ is, in fact, God himself, our Messiah. He gave John the Baptist in verse 33. You have sent to John, and he's borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. You think of the 500 years, nearly 500 years that goes by, and now here comes this man, John the Baptist. Um, The one who, even while in his mother's womb, when he was in the presence of Christ and his mother's womb. He leapt for joy as he was there in his mother's womb. But now here comes this one, and he's clothed in camel's hair and has a leather belt around his waist, and he eats locusts and wild honey, and he's there, and he's saying things like, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the one in whom Malachi had spoken of, saying, behold, I send my messenger, and he'll prepare the way before me. It tells us in Matthew 3 where it says, this is the one who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And Jesus is referring to John the Baptist just saying, he bore witness to me. You heard him. Not only that, but you were willing for a a time to, to believe him. He was the one that said things like, I indeed baptized with water under repentance um, but he's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He was the one that was pointing. Everything was pointing to me. You heard him for a while. He's the one that was prophesied in Isaiah 40, verse 3. He's the one that had said all of these things. And yet, John the Baptist was beheaded. They heard him for a little bit. They were baptized. People were following him. But now Christ comes and they're rejecting him. In verse 36, it tells us, Jesus says, But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Now you look at this and you you begin to look at the works of Christ. We have the four Gospels that give us so many examples and stories and particular instances of what Christ did in his life. But it just really just scratches the surface. We see miracle after miracle of what Christ had accomplished. But it tells us things like in Matthew 4, 23, it talks about him going throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, that Jesus was healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. All kinds. His fame went out throughout all of Syria as well. They brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics and he healed them all, all of them. I mean, you look and we're told story after story in Matthew eight sixteen, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and he cast out <clears throat> the spirits with a word and he healed all all who were sick. He's casting out demons. He's healing everybody that comes to him who are sick. In Matthew 12, 15, it says, great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. 
Or Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. In Matthew 14, 14, Jesus, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. In Matthew 14, 35, they sent out, all, they sent out into all this, that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick and begged him that, that they might only just touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. I mean, you go through and it just gives example after example. Everybody that came to him, they could just touch the hem of his garment and they were all made perfectly well. I look and, and you, you go places where there's people who are sick. And you, and you just think I would do anything to be able to help them. Guy, I wish I was so badly I could, could help them. I, I think of a time in, in Africa with my little sister, Melissa, where she got malaria. Well, she got malaria several times in Africa, but one was she was there, and, and gosh, it just it, it seemed like her entire body was just shutting down. We were calling from the United States to, to doctors here in, in America and asking what to do. We, we had a nurse with us, and she brings out a book and it says nursing for dummies and you're like great I guess this is huge help um, and and so we're we're there and and it it was the most helpless feeling to to be there and to see her just she couldn't move her hands anymore and her it, it just got scarier and scarier as time went on and the Lord made it so she was fine and, and, and came home healthy and was good. But you could go to hospitals and you, you find people sick. You find people paralyzed. You find people in places where they've lost their sight or they're born blind or they're born deaf or they're born mute. People with all kinds of diseases. You see people where, like this man who was paralyzed for 38 years. And you look and, and if anybody has been in circumstances where <clears throat> a loved one has become that sick, you, you would do anything to help them. And to be able to look at the works that Jesus did throughout his ministry here. And just see everybody that came to him. They were healed. And it wasn't one of those things where you see like faith healers on TV where there's no evidence of it or anything like that. It wasn't like they were partially healed. He healed them completely. And everybody's seen it. His fame's going out throughout all the land. We look throughout the Gospels and we see... Incredible examples of miracles that take place. All kinds of miracles. We look and and we see that the first miracle that's recorded is Jesus being there at a wedding. They run out of wine. And Jesus tells them to go get these six water pots that are there of stone. And they each hold 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So over 100 gallons of water filled them with water. Fill them all with water. 
So they fill them with water. Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. So they take it. Master of the feast tasted and it was made wine. These guys are saying, we watched it. We poured, we poured water into these. And now it's wine. Not only is it wine, but the master says, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And, or the, the, the servants, they, they set out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you've kept the good wine until now. Those that are there, you, you brought out the good wine at the end. Incredible wine, and he just makes water turn into wine. And it tells us that this was the beginnings of the signs that he did in Galilee. And then it tells us, and it manifested his glory. And then there's this little section where it says, and the disciples believed in him. They're watching this going, it was water. We saw water. We tasted wine. He made that happen. You see, in John chapter 4, there's this nobleman that comes to him. Nobleman comes to him, and his son is sick. It tells us that he's at the point of death. But what we find is that Jesus goes on to say, your son lives. The man goes home, finds his servants coming to him. They're saying, your son lives. He says, when did he get better? And it was at the exact hour in which Jesus said, your son lives. The guy doesn't respond by saying, what a coincidence. Well, must not have been that bad. I mean, I thought he was at the point of death, but maybe he, he wasn't. No, it tells us that he and his entire household believed. He, his kids, his servants, his extended family, his entire household believed when they saw that the son was made well. <clears throat> you look and you see other miracles in which Jesus does. Jesus is there with the disciples and they're out in the boat and Jesus says to them, launch out into the deep and let your nets out for the catch. And Simon the fisherman's like, Master, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll let the nets down. But what happens? They let the nets down and there's so many fish that come in that the nets start breaking and they get the other boats, their friends to come out and they come out and they help and they fill both of the boats to where they get to the point of they're starting to sink. And Peter, the fisherman, falls down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. But Jesus just says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll start to catch men. They looked and they're like, we've been toiling all night. We all know you fish at night. You're a carpenter. Don't tell us how to fish. We know how to fish. You don't do it like that. And they let their nets out and just the boats are filled with fish. And what's the result? They know that it's not just by chance. The verse tells us there that they, the disciples forsook all and they followed him. They forsook everything 
And they followed him. It was a miracle in such a way that they looked at it and said, if he can do that, we're leaving everything behind. We'll become fishers of men. We'll follow him. And notice this as well. When you start looking at, is Christianity true? Jesus isn't calling people to just make sure when next time the census comes around and there's a spot to mark, put Christian down. It's not just about, okay, well, sign me up. I'll follow you then. I'll I'll be a Christian. It's they forsook everything and they followed him. They looked at it and said, if this is true, if this is who he is, he makes water into wine and he heals noblemen's sons and he can make fish jump into these nets to where they're breaking in and they're sinking our boats. We're leaving everything to follow him. We find that other miracles take place. Things like this demon-possessed man that comes. Demon says, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed out of him and cried with a loud voice. And then they were all amazed. So they said among themselves, they questioned among themselves, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And then it says, and immediately his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. He commands spirits, commands demons, and they listen to him. These people are looking at this going like, who is this guy? Even the demons, these guys that are demons, people are gnashing themselves and hurting themselves. People have incredible strength. They're doing all kinds of things. And he just casts demons out of them. And the demons leave them. People who are mad, they're just, their minds are not there. They're filled with demons. They run around naked. And what does he do? He, he makes it so that their demons are cast out of them. The demons have to obey him. We see a leper come to him. The leper comes, imploring him, kneeling down before him. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Think of the lepers back then. According to Leviticus 13, in verse 45, it says, If there's a leper who has a sore, his clothes shall be torn and his head shall be bare. He shall cover his mustache and he shall cry everywhere he goes, Unclean, unclean. Someone has a sore, they cry, Unclean, unclean. We may need to institute that for the Ebola virus. As time goes on. <laughs> but you look and, and just, you got to be able to tell people, I'm unclean. It's contagious. You got to make it so that everybody knows, stay away. This guy comes, begging him, kneeling down before him. I know if you're willing, you can make me clean. What does Jesus do? It tells us he's moved with compassion. He stretches out his hand and he touches the man. Nobody's touched that guy. Jesus says, I'm willing, be cleansed. And then it says, as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. The kids asked me, what's leprosy? So I'm like, oh, I know how to scar you. I'll show you pictures on Google Images. So I just Googled image leprosy, and you see people, their faces are all leprous, and like, this is leprosy, and... Tasha's like, what are you showing them? I'm like, this is good. It's biblical, you know? And so <clears throat> they're looking at it, but it was a, 
it's a hideous sight. I mean, as far as someone with leprosy, you can see, you can see like, I mean, they lose their fingers. They lose their feet. They're, usually ears are gone. Their nose will be open sometimes. Um, their eyes are all sunken in. And sometimes they'll just have like huge boils just covering scars all over their faces. And here's this man. No one's touched him. He just yells, unclean, unclean, everywhere he goes. And Jesus just reaches out and touches him, and all of it goes away. Immediately, all of it goes away. You see a man where he's a paralytic. His friends are trying to get him to Jesus. They can't get him to Jesus, so they make a hole in the roof. They lower him down. What happens? Jesus sees him says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. The scribes, the Pharisees hear this. Who is this guy that speaks blasphemies like that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God can forgive sins. He's there. This man comes down through the ceiling and Jesus sees him and says, man, your, your sins are forgiven you. And everybody's, you can't say that. Only God can say that. Only God can say, your sins are forgiven you. But Jesus says, what's harder to say? What, what is it? Why are you reasoning? He knows what they're thinking in their hearts. Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk? They may have thought, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you because no one can prove that. I mean, Jesus could say, your sins are forgiven you. And everybody here may wonder, well, I don't know if his sins are really forgiven. But Jesus said, but so that you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the man who's paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been laying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And you look at this and you think, is this God. Is this God incarnate, Christ, our Messiah? All of the evidence that you look at, here's this man comes in, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. If you don't think I can forgive him, take up your bed and walk. Takes up his bed. He's just glorifying God with all of his might as he leaves that place. Man whose hands withered The Pharisees are watching. What is he going to do? It's the Sabbath. This man's come to Jesus on the Sabbath. His hand, his hand is just withered away completely. Jesus knows what they're thinking. I'll ask you one thing, Jesus says. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? Then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. So how did the people respond? His hand's restored. It was withered away. Everybody saw it withered away. And it just starts coming back and it's restored. The same as the other. Did they look and say like, that has to be God. No. Most of them here, we're told, respond by, it says, they were filled with rage and discussed with one another how they would, what they might do to Jesus. How are we going to kill him? I mean, 
it's no wonder in John 5, he's like, you will not believe. You won't believe. Here is the evidence before you. But you will not believe. He heals the centurion servant. We're told that he was sick and ready to die. And yet Jesus made him well. He raises the widow's son from the dead. This young man was dead. There's a funeral procession. They're there. He's in the coffin. Jesus come, comes, touches the coffin. They stand still. Jesus says, young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. He rose again from the dead. Miracle after miracle. There's a storm that's there. Disciples are saying, Lord, save us. We're perishing. Jesus says, why are you fearful, you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? The winds and the sea, they obey him. They listen to him. We thought we were going to die. And now it's, he just said, be still, it's all gone. It's still, it's, the winds are gone. The sea is calm. You look at Psalm 89, verse 8. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness all surrounds you, also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. And when its waves rise, you still them. You rule the raging of the sea. When the waves rise, you still them. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord. So who is able to do it? It is God himself. Jesus healed the hemorrhaging woman. He raised Jairus' daughter. There's the two blind men that come to him. Son of David, have mercy on us. What happens? He touches them and their eyes are opened. He casts out the dumb spirit making these people unable to hear. Feeds 5,000 people. He walks on water. He heals the Syrophoenician girl. He heals a deaf and dumb man. He feeds 4,000 people. He heals another blind man. He delivers a demonized boy. He provides money out of a fish's mouth. Go catch the fish. Money will be there. He heals a man that's born blind. He heals a man with dropsy. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He cleanses ten lepers. He heals Bartimaeus. He replaces Malchus's ear. And many others. But especially he rose again on the third day. He rose again from the dead on the third day. And you start looking at this and... Jesus goes on in John 5, 37. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, 
nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You don't believe. I look at this and the evidence is overwhelming. I mean, the number of people that have been raised from the dead, made able to see, cleansed from leprosy, made able to walk, made able to speak, able to hear. All of the prophecies that have been fulfilled as far as where he would be born and be born of a virgin. All the prophecies that were fulfilled as how he would die, the crucifixion, all the details with that. That he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb, that he would rise again on the third day. All that saw him after the resurrection. You look at it all and it is so clear that he is God. Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. God's word, it is all pointing to Christ. All of it is pointing to him. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, it's all pointing to Christ who is our salvation, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. But Jesus says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. For us as believers here this morning, we look and we just praise God that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and God's word came alive to us. Our eyes were open. We were generated, saved. He saved us. We look and we believe. We look and it's just, it's so obvious as far as truly he is the Messiah. We look at the disciples who all died martyrs' deaths. Almost every one of them died martyrs' death for the sake of their faith in Christ. They went all over the world preaching the gospel till they died. And we look and we say, why would they not? He told them to do it, and they believed in him. But there's also those that could be here this morning <clears throat> where Jesus would say, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. All the evidence is there, but you are not willing to come to me that you might have a life. And this morning, we would just pray that faith would come to you this morning by the hearing of God's word. That you would be able to see as the Holy Spirit works in your heart to be able to look at these things and say, who else could this be? The wind, the sea obeys him. He casts out demons. He makes water into wine. He causes people to rise again from the dead. He makes people who are paralyzed for 38 years take their bed up and walk. He forgives sins and he has the power to forgive sin. He can do all of these things and that as a result you would see these things and say there is none in whom I could be saved except through Christ alone. It is our gracious God who reveals these things to us through his word and through the calling of the Holy Spirit. For us who are saved, we praise him for that. And for any who are here or who listen to this later, 
how I pray to God that he would open your heart to be able to see. When Jesus says in John chapter 5 that he is, in fact, equal with the Father, that it would be upon hearing him that faith would come. Let's pray together. Lord God, we love what you have accomplished in your word. Um, to reveal to us who you are, Lord. We see it as far as the testimony of the Father and all the works that Jesus did that truly you are our Messiah, our King. As we close this, this service with worship and communion, um, may our hearts just be overflowing with thankfulness for who it is who has saved us. I pray these things in Jesus' name.